such a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll get into the text and see what God the Holy Spirit has to say to us this morning in and through his word. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding and wisdom, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we live in a society, a society that values growth. Regardless of what you are, where you are, you want to see progress. If you're a parent, you want to see your children grow physically and do well in studies and be confident in social settings. If you're a business person, you want your business to bring more revenue, increase profits, profit margin. And the way the world understands and defines growth is always inevitably bigger, brighter, flashier, mightier, more influence, more followers, more margins, more profits, more and more. The bigger, the better. And we often have various metrics to measure this growth, and these metrics are often tangible, measurable, you know, weighable, and scalable. And they give us a sense of satisfaction. This is how the world sees, understands, and measures growth. And it is okay for them to do that when they're talking about the things of the world. It's all right. But when such kind of thinking infects the Christian world, then we start running into trouble. When we forget that we are in the world, but we are not of the world, then unfortunately we start measuring growth and progress and development in the church just as the world does. We forget that we need to think spiritually, not physically. We need the eyes of the Lord given to us in and through the scripture to truly understand and comprehend what growth is and how progress and development works. So whether you're a pastor or a church member, and when you think about, sometimes when you think about your church, is it doing well? You know, the first thing that comes, pops up in your mind, how many people were there last Sunday? How's the budget doing? How is the music production? How's the various activities and programs doing? Now, it's not always wrong to think in these categories, and, and, but 
These things should certainly not be the first things that pop up in your mind whenever you think about the growth, progress, development, health of the church. And I think this passage that we've just opened and read before us, Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14, helps us to correct a way of understanding, measuring, weighing the growth and progress and development in any church or even in an individual Christian's life. We need to think in terms of gospel growth. We need to think of spiritual maturity. We need to be concerned about this more than any other metric. But this kind of growth, the spiritual growth that I'm talking about, will only happen when the gospel is preached faithfully. And this is my main point. This is the main thing that I want to share this morning. This one thing, one big thing. The faithful, the faithful proclamation of the gospel will lead to the inevitable gospel growth. The faithful proclamation of the gospel will lead to inevitable gospel growth. And in order for that to happen, this kind of growth to happen that we're talking about, we must preach faithfully, whether locally or internationally, in country or out of the country, in the local church or in the frontiers of the mission field. This is non-negotiable. And when we do that, I mean, when we faithfully proclaim the gospel, the Lord of the harvest, he will ensure that there will be definite, certain gospel growth, a growth that pleases him, a a growth that pleases the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you and I will see that kind of growth, then our hearts will automatically be full of thankfulness and gratitude and praises to our sovereign Lord. As the spiritual eyes will behold what God is doing, then we will thank the Lord for the gospel growth. And that's what we see in verses one to eight. And this is my first point under the main point. But we will not stop there. We'll be consumed with a desire to see even more gospel growth. Even more spiritual growth. We will recognize that there is effectively very little that we can do for spiritual growth. Apart from the faithful proclamation of the gospel. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on a savior to bring more growth. And progress. And that is why we will surely and we must therefore Ask the Lord for more gospel growth. And we see that in verses 9 to 14, which is my second sub-point under the big one point. So the big thing, the faithful proclamation of the gospel will lead to inevitable gospel growth. And in order for that to happen, um, we have to preach the gospel. When that happens, we must thank the Lord when we see the growth, verses 1 to 8. And then verses 9 to 11, we must ask the Lord for even more gospel growth. So if you have your scriptures, if you have your Bible, please uh, turn your eyes towards your text. And we see that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, the opening of this passage, this chapter, Paul is the author of this letter. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing this letter to the saints and brothers at Colossae. When he writes this letter, you know that he is in prison. How do we know that? Chapter 4, verse 18, Paul tells them, remember my chains. What boggles my mind is that this man who is in prison is not so much worried about his situation, but he is given to the growth of the gospel. 
And that is why, despite, despite the situation he's in, instead of trying to get out of the situation, he's trying to use his time to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you imagine that? Look at me in verse 3. What does he do? It's very evident here. He tells us that every time he comes to the throne of God, every time he prays for the people at Colossae, he cannot, cannot help but thank the Lord for them. And why does he thank the Lord for them in verse 3? Why does he thank the Lord for them? Verse 4 tells us very clearly, because he has heard of their faith and of their love. Two things. I mean, this is a very clear evidence, a very clear picture of gospel growth in the lives of the believers at Colossae. You see, my friends, Paul gets the news about these Christians from Epaphras himself, and every time he hears either from him or from others, he's amazed at how the Holy Spirit has blessed the gospel work and how much fruit it is bearing in the lives of these believers individually and the whole church as a community. Please notice three, two things in verse 3. Two things in verse 3. The faith and the love. The faith. The faith in what? Uh, the faith not in their own faith. Not their faith in themselves. Or not in the people around them. This faith is not just name it and claim it. But this faith is in Christ Jesus. So, the God, so when the gospel is preached faithfully, then the faith that is produced is legitimate. It is solid. The content of the faith is Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Savior, the one sent by God, appointed by God, anointed by God, the one who will save his people, the Savior. This faith is in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the God-man. God eternal in flesh about 2,000 years ago came here, lived a perfect life, died a death on the cross to procure salvation for his people. He died and then he rose again, ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will come, up, come back again to judge the living and the dead. And he will reign forevermore with those who are his. A lot of time when people talk about faith, they do not even know what they're talking about. Many times people are too, too embarrassed to talk about the faith. They say, hey, it is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. I don't, want to, I don't want to get into this thing. But when Paul hears about the faith of the people at Colossae, this is what he hears about. They know what they believe. They know who their Savior is. They know what Christ has done. But this kind of genuine faith has a counterpart. It is like the two sides of a coin. This faith is always accompanied by love for all the saints. Notice what it says. It says, all the saints. The Christians at Colossae are known to be loving people and they love without discrimination. They do not just love the people who look like them. They do not just say with words, with mouth, we love you, but they show it in action. The love is obvious. The love is visible. The love is tangible. It is shown in actions. That is why Paul can hear about their love. You see, Paul is full of gratitude, thankfulness, praise to the Lord for what is happening in this church. I wonder what would Paul write if he was writing to our churches today? I wonder if Paul were to be here today and heard about River Tree Church, what would he have to say? 
I wonder what would the pastors of River Tree Church think about and speak about the church here. I wonder what other Christians think about you and speak about you. Is a church here today known for its faith? Faith uncompromised, solid faith in solid doctrinal truths of who Jesus is and what he has done for us? And is this faith driving this community to be heavily invested in one another and to be overflowing with love for one another? See, a lot of churches spend a lot of money, energy, efforts in running a lot of programs. Is this what the church should be known for? Or should it be known for members who love all people? You know, we all have heard this saying, well, I have faith. I don't need the church. That kind of thinking just does not align with the teaching of the New Testament of the Bible. If your faith in, the, in Christ is truly solid, your love for one another will be truly visible. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verse 5, the reason why they have faith and love is because of the hope they have. And please notice this hope that they have is because it's kept in heaven. They have faith and they can love because they have hope. But what is their hope and where is this, this hope? Their hope is kept in heaven because it is in whom who is the Lord of heaven. The hope is in the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope is that they would be united to him one day. They would see him face to face. They would enjoy his fellowship uninterrupted and they will be like him. This is the hope that they have. Notice their hope is not in something that is here. Their hope is not that their lives here will get better. Their hope is not that this world will get a better place, become a better place. Instead, they have a future hope. It is a very far, something to come, yet to come. A lot of time these days, people seem to be dismissing the idea of looking forward to heaven and the future hope. They want everything here and now, today. They want everything, everything as much as possible. But the scripture presents a very different view. When the scripture talks about hope, it is future looking. But what has brought this hope to them? How did they receive this hope? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5 towards the end that you have heard of this hope in the word of the truth, the gospel. Do you see that? The basis, the foundation, the reason for a hope in life after life is not because of what we have done, not because of our achievements, but it is rooted in the good news, the gospel, the word of the truth. This is the ultimate truth. Paul reminds them that, hey, brothers and sisters, remember the first time that this truth, this gospel, this good news came to you? Ever since this gospel took root in your hearts, see what God has done for you. You have faith in Christ, you have love for saints, you have hope in life after life. This is the result of the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. This is gospel growth. The inevitable growth, the growth that will certainly for sure happen when the gospel is preached faithfully. So Paul, when he sees this kind of growth, he cannot help but Thank the Lord for this. My friends, I want to ask you this morning, do you see this kind of gospel growth amidst yourself? Can you attribute this to the preaching of the word, the gospel, the good news faithfully? 
And I pray and I believe that the fact that you're here this morning is because you have this faith in Christ. I believe and I hope that you do love one another because you have hope of eternal life. And when you think about these things, they should fill your heart with gratitude. You should thank the Lord for what he is doing amidst you. You cannot be bogged down by your circumstances. You cannot be tied down to all the difficulties that you seem to be facing right now and here and today. You need to lift your eyes up and you need to see the coming glory. Do you remember Paul is in prison right now? But he's thanking the Lord for what he is doing in the lives of other believers. It's almost as if he's oblivious to everything wrong that is going on in his life. He is so encouraged by the gospel growth because of gospel proclamation. Is this the posture of our heart? When was the last time you thanked the Lord for the work of the gospel among you? Can other people in all honesty, when they think about you or me, or Christian around it, can they thank the Lord and praise him for what's happening in our lives? When your pastors, when your leaders, when they talk about you, when they pray for you, is it with a sigh, heavy heartedness? Or they say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel growth in the life of this brother, this sister. Well, let's keep pressing on. Notice in verse six, the gospel came to them, has also gone around the world. Is this not exciting? Is this not exciting and encouraging? The message, the good news, the truth that has given life here in River Tree in Huntsville is also giving life to people in other parts of the country here and around the world. Where did it all start? It started with a small band of brothers back then, 2,000 years ago. And then a small group of people, 120 people huddled up in that upper room. And then from there it has spread out to the ends of this world. But please notice with me in verse six, towards the end, the truth has come to them. It came to them in words. Somebody preached to them. Somebody spoke to them. Somebody shared it with them. Somebody opened the scriptures and explained it to them. They heard it and then they understood. They comprehended it. But this understanding was about the grace of God that they did not deserve. The grace that came to them in truth, not in falsehood. It came to them through the preaching, through the proclamation of the gospel. Paul goes on to remind them that it was Epaphras who was the first one to come to preach them this truth. He was a faithful minister of the gospel. He was faithful, why? Why was he faithful? Because he preached the gospel without confusion, without compromise. He did not promise them what the scripture did not promise. He did not say to them, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. He did not say to them, come to Jesus and all the health and all the wealth and all the prosperity will be yours. No, he was a faithful preacher. He told them that following Christ would mean that you will have to pay a price. It would be costly, but it would still be worth it. That's why he was a faithful minister of the gospel. Is that the kind of ministers that you guys desire for? Praise the Lord for good gospel workers 
among you. Praise the Lord. Well, so far, so good. If you look at verses 3 to 8, it is evident that the church at Colossae is doing well. Paul is encouraged by the reports that he has received, especially from the leader, the teacher themselves, Epaphras himself. That is why he thanks the Lord. He, he, he can thank the Lord for the gospel growth. But you know what? If you and I were writing this letter, and if we had found out that they were generally doing okay, if we knew that they were spiritually fine, then you know what we would move on to pray for? We would look at a, 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 a prayer list, and we say, faith, yeah, check. Love, all right, check. Hope, yeah, done, check. Understanding of the gospel, yeah, check. And then we would conclude, are they doing well spiritually? Then we'll say, well, what are the areas that they're lacking in? Now, let me pray for those areas. I bet, I bet you and I would not be able to wait for the real needs as you and I understand it. But actually are just the felt need, felt needs of the believers. You know what we pray for then? Say, we've done with the spiritual thing. Let's pray for the physical needs. We'll pray for the businesses to prosper. We'll pray for promotions that they would get in their jobs. We'll pray that they'd be debt-free. We'll pray that the sicknesses would go away. we pray that the broken relationships would be mended. we pray that they would find respite from opposition, that they would be free from op- oppression, and, and on and on and on and on. In our minds, once the spiritual needs are taken care of, then now let's move on to the physical needs. Actually, this is the best case scenario. Truth be told, most of our prayers for ourselves and others are not like that. They're more like this. Lord, first please take care of our physical needs and then keep taking care of our physical needs and then please take care of more of our physical needs and maybe perhaps probably someday, one day, we will think about our spiritual needs. But Paul is different. He has the correct understanding of what a Christian should desire for his life or the lives of those around us. While he's grateful for the gospel fruit in their life, but he's not content with that. He doesn't stop there. That's why in verses 9 to 14, he goes on to ask the Lord for even more spiritual growth, gospel growth, gospel fruit. Verses 9 to 14. So please notice with me in verse 9. He says, since the day we have heard, we've heard, heard what? Good things about you. How are you doing so well? We've thanked the Lord for the good things in your life. We do not stop there. We keep on praying for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. You know, I love it. I love it. These words, just, just beautiful. Not ceased to pray for you. Just because you seem to be doing well spiritually. I want to pray for you even more. I want to pray that you will keep excelling. Keep growing. Keep progressing. There is no end to this growth. The kind of things that we pray for ourselves. Reveal where our heart is. And in a deeper way. The kind of things that we pray for others, our loved ones, 
further reveal the condition, the situation of a heart. It is telling that in verse 9, Paul prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual understanding and wisdom. Haven't we all heard Christians say this? Oh, the problem with the church is there's too much knowledge. We know too much. That doesn't seem to be Paul's concern. Do you see that? In fact, he sees more knowledge, and specifically the knowledge of God's will is a good thing. Who God is, what has he done for us, what does he want of us? But this kind of knowledge, this kind of knowledge will come only through spiritual understanding and wisdom. The more we know who God is, the more we know who Jesus is, the more we know what he has done for us. The wretched sinners, those who deserve eternal hell, damnation, condemnation, but in his love, in his goodness, he's forgiven us. He's embraced us. He's made us his own. The more we think about these things, the more we dwell on these things, the more they, they take effect in the heart. This is the kind of spiritual knowledge that Paul is talking about. Then we truly understand what God's will is for us. What is God's will for our life? What is God's plan for my life? For those who are around me. You and I often talk about we want to know God's will for our life. All we mean to say, can I buy a new car or not? Can I have that extension in my, my house? Can I buy the second vacation house or not? But that doesn't seem to be the concern that Paul has in his mind. Oh, he wants you to have a deeper understanding, deeper knowledge of God's will. Why? Why? Look with me in verse 10. So that, so that, he wants us to grow in the knowledge. He, knows, he wants us to understand what God wants us from our life. So that... We would do what? Verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing on the knowledge of God again. So it's a cycle, it's never ending. We grow in the knowledge, therefore we live a life for him. We live a life for him and we grow in the knowledge. We grow in the knowledge and therefore we live a life for him. We live a life for him and we get to know him even better. The better we get to know him, the more we want to live for him. It's not about us. It's not about my children. It is not about my country. It is not even about my community. It is about him, knowing him. Look at me in verse 11. Paul says that he prays that they would have more knowledge so that they would honor God with their lives, but he also prays that they will have more power. I mean, these kinds of prayers, we all want to pray. And, and the thing is, Christian world, evangelical world has taken these words and twisted them. 
and, and, and our flesh has come into play and we've made it something for us. More knowledge, it's about self-service. It's about me showing to people how much I know. It's about people praising me. Power, power, it's about displaying what I am and what I can do, but that's not what Paul intends to say when he prays for them, to have more knowledge and more power. What is the purpose of receiving this power? He prays that they would be empowered, strengthened with all power supplied by God himself because he is the source of all power and might. What will Christians do with this kind of power? Can you guess? The strengthening, the empowering, to what end? Well, Paul tells us here, so that they might endure with patience and joy. Christian life is not a sprint. You've heard this before. It's a marathon. It's not two days thing. It's not a weekend gig. It's a lifelong thing. We have to be Christians week in and week out, Sunday to Saturday, and then Sunday to Saturday, January to December, year after year, till the Lord calls us home. We must keep persevering. We must endure. The enemy will lay traps to bring us down. We will be afflicted in many ways. We will face opposition from all directions. Our faith will be tested severely, but we cannot and must not give up. We must endure. And it is not just some stoical way of gritting our teeth and just somehow putting up with things. It's not a British way of life. Keep calm and carry on. No. When Paul prays for these folks, he prays that they would have endurance and patience with joy. You cannot have that until unless you have the power of the Lord. Until unless we experience the strength that only God gives us. We need his glorious might. And when that happens, then we can endure with joy and we can thank him. Verse 12. You can thank the Father in spite and despite of what is going around us. If we are empowered by God, then the circumstances won't steal our joy. We will not put our heads down in discouragement and despair. We will not be navel gazers. We will not wallow in self-pity. Oh, nobody understands me. Poor me, if only people knew and understood what I was going through, if only they knew how hard my life is. No, Paul, Paul prays for them that they would show fruit among, in the midst of all challenges and difficulties. He prays that because they have been empowered by God, they will be able to thank God. Why? Because something greater is to come, an inheritance. We are to receive something. See, Christians are future looking, forward gazing. Not downward, navel gazing. Even if we do not have everything right here, even if all our dreams in this life have come crashing down, even if all the desires have never been fulfilled, you know, if you had a bucket list and it remained as it is and you have not checked off anything from that list, does not matter. We have something greater to look forward to. The inheritance that you and I will have with other saints that it, that because we are in the light. We're not, not part of the kingdom of darkness anymore. That is why we'll praise the Lord. 
We will thank him for what he has done, what could not be done by anyone else. That's why in verse 13, Paul says, he prays for the people at Colossae that they would be able to remember and focus on what God has done for them. He has delivered them from the domain, the rule, the reign of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. From darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from death to life. And no one can take us away from that kingdom anymore. What more could you ask for? What more do you need? We have received more than we deserve. Verse 14 reminds us that those believers, they, you and I, have the best deal ever. In the world's eyes, because of the circumstances here today and now, we might have received the raw end of the deal in some ways. But can't you imagine? We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. Is this not enough? Is this not sufficient? Is this not encouraging? Should this not fill my heart and your heart with gratitude? With a desire to live for him, to serve him, to honor him? Just one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we come to a conclusion of this passage, let me ask you a few questions. Does this church, the River Tree Church, truly believe that the faithful proclamation of the gospel will lead to inevitable gospel growth? And it doesn't just have to be the work of the pastors and elders and leaders. It has to be the responsibility of each and every member. Are you guys truly concerned about gospel growth in your own life? What kind of growth you're committed to and what kind of growth you're pursuing today? What metrics do you use when you think about evaluating growth in your own spiritual life? What methods and programs you desire that your church would engage in because you want to see a specific a kind of growth. Growth in your church, growth in the gospel world, gospel work around the world. Do you thank the Lord for the growth that you have seen until now? Do you even think about those things? Do they even register with you? Are you encouraged by what you see in your church and in your life, in the life of people around you? Do you see faith in Christ? Do you see love for one another? Do you see hope of something greater to come? Do you thank the Lord for the faithful ministers that he has given to you, that he has provided you with? What do other believers think about you when they think about you? And finally, do you ask the Lord for even more spiritual gospel growth? Are you consumed by this? Are you desirous of seeing more gospel growth in your own life, in your local church, in your city, in your country, and around the world? Do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for more knowledge? 
Do you pray for perseverance? Do you pray for endurance? Do you pray for power? Do you pray for joy? Do you engage in the faithful proclamation of the gospel in your own life? Do you preach the gospel to yourself faithfully? You preach it to your children, to your family members, to your neighbors, to ones around you. Why is this all important? Why are you even talking about this? I mean, it's the missions weekend, right? You know, the health of your church, the priorities that your church has when it comes to the gospel, will determine, will in, in, in turn have massive ramification effect in the kind of gospel work that you as a church will undertake. Here, here in this church, and all the mission work that you're involved with. Do you want it to reflect Colossians chapter one, verses one to 14? Or do you want it to be something like what the world understands it to be? Yeah, the health, the health, the growth of the gospel in your church matters. My prayer is that you will have massive, massive gospel impact in the city, in the state, in this country and all around the world, because you understand, you cherish, you love, and you strive for faithful, biblical gospel growth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this church would continue to undertake the faithful proclamation of the gospel for your namesake, for your glory, so that you are lifted high and you are honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.